Bonisis, thanks for joining us. So you're on the East Coast, yeah? I am on the East Coast. Did you uh, did you see what happened to me last night? No, well, I didn't. So I'm staying in, I don't know, are you familiar with Seattle at all? Have you been there? I've never been there. I used to live here like over like 12 years ago. I lived here for 10 years and I moved about 12 years ago. And you've probably heard the stories about all the like junkies and everything. So I picked like this super safe, like quiet and a boring neighborhood. And I've been here three nights now. Last night at three in the morning, I woke up to all these weird noises. Like it sounded like gravel was like being sloshed around. And I hear like yelling and like shit being broken. And not like eight feet from my window is some junkie, like zombie looking person doing this stuff. And he starts like yelling and screaming and I'm doing all this shit. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I was like, you know, I thought I'd be paranoid, but I was worried he's going to like, get, like, what if he got like really mad and like saw me looking at him and like, yeah, yeah. get in here. I grabbed this big knife out of the kitchen <laughs> and then, uh, and then, he, and then I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to call 911. I don't know how long this guy's going to be out here. And I don't, like, what the hell's going on? I know they probably don't love these calls, but whatever. So I called 911 and they were super nice, but they were like basically saying like, if he's not like threatening you, like we'll, we'll, we'll dispatch someone, which probably meant never. Cause anyway, he went, eventually went away. And then I woke up again, like 30 minutes later to like rustling right outside my window, like right outside my window. And I was super, I, like my heart was racing and I jumped up and I grabbed a knife and I look outside and it was a freaking raccoon <laughs> with a raccoon, like climbing the tree next to my window. Nice. But anyway, that's a nice place. It's just, uh, it's, uh, it's a little, little too far left for me, but it's kind of insane. Yeah. And you see the policies not really working out and uh, yeah, I mean, I, wait, wait, are you saying if you cut back on police you don't get less carlin yeah a surprise i mean who would have guessed i know exactly so yeah maybe we could start there i'm i'm curious about uh your name obviously uh and kind of where you pick that as kind of your you know persona your anonymous persona uh having uh studied traditional finance you know which is keynesian school-based uh economics um, you know, Keynesian-based economics, I, I always felt like there was something not quite right about it. And I spent my, I spent a lot of years in traditional finance and Keynesian model for economics just always seemed like it left a, a, like a big glaring hole. And the biggest problem I have with Keynesian economics is it, it, it gets a lot right, but it, when they talk about like the causes of recession, like literally Keynes would say, uses the term a lack of animal spirits as what causes recessions and it's like it just always sat wrong with me it's like basically you're saying you have no idea what causes recession it's one of the biggest problems that you know world of economics faces is that when these recessions happen you know they're they hurt and your entire theory doesn't really explain how it happens and you know among other things i didn't like about it but when i started reading about the austrian school of economics which Ludwig von Mises was one of the people that really brought it into more mainstream Austrian school economics. I don't know, for me, it just resonated with me right away about the free markets and the distortion of the free markets and the term malinvestment, which is a very Austrian school term, like really helped me understand what happens in a business cycle and distortive policies by central banks lead to malinvestment based on uh, false signals to the market about interest rates, and that ultimately causes capital be, to be allocated in the wrong places, and then ultimately you have a bust. And it just really kind of made things a lot clearer to me. And so, you know, as a free markets person, I've always just, just subscribed to the Austrian school. It just felt more 
natural. So, but, so in Austrian, uh, sorry, I was going to ask. So, in the Austrian school, um, what is the role of a of a federal bank, or is there even one? I mean, von Mises would say that the gold standard was fine. That we didn't, you know, we didn't, you didn't necessarily need a central bank. Uh, but basically, the role of a central bank is to distort interest rates and to propagate an inflation rate, which is the deliberate theft of people's savings by the state. And von Mises' big, um, one of his big theories is called the crack-up boom. And the crack-up boom is, is it's when the people realize that inflation is the deliberate theft of their wealth and it's intentional and that it's not going to abate. And when that moment happens, the value of fiat currencies mm-hmm. quickly moves to zero because if you price in all future inflation, it goes to zero. Like if you look at right, uh, but what I've always found this is the thing that I've always found like the most comical about economics and federal and the Federal Reserve is if you look at uh, indication of prices in the United States, there's there are baskets that go back to the 1700s and. From basically 1780 to the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1912, you had virtual price stability, meaning a dollar in 1912 bought about the same amount of goods that it did in 1780. In 1912, the Federal Reserve is created. It's got one task. It only has one charge at this point, price stability. From 1912 to present, the dollar has lost over 99% of its purchasing power. I mean, what more do you need to say? Like, yeah, it's not very stable. No, I mean, yeah. now granted, they have a dual mandate that came in in the in the seventies. Price stability was always their number one role. In the nineteen seventies, their role became also full employment. So the Fed now has a dual mandate. Okay, but yeah. up until the seventies, they only had a single mandate, and that was price stability, and they did a terrible job at it. So, you know, for me, the Austrian school makes a lot of things clearer, and you know, so. I, I like using a name like that because 99.9% of people just, oh, Bob Mises, they have no idea what it means. But when you, uh, but the few people that understand Austrian economics are always like, oh, yes, I get it. You know, so that's why. Yeah, it's perfect. So, I, you know, I thought about that a lot a few years ago when I was first getting into Bitcoin. And it, I mean, obviously the, the Fed and, and the U.S. government would hate Bitcoin because they can't manipulate it. Right. And so. Correct. The thought that it would ever become the main currency of the United States is, I don't think they're ever going to let that happen, which is fine. And Bitcoin can do well without that. But I do wonder, like, at what point are we going to stop referring to Bitcoin prices in US dollars? Because, you know, the whole point is that who cares? Like, you could say, oh, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. But actually, like you said, the dollar is going down. So it doesn't really take that part into account, I think. The crazy thing about that is, too, when people talk about dollar strength, they don't they talk about it versus other fiat currencies. So it's like, oh, the dollar's strong versus all, you know, the dollar's strong, but it's only strong against other fiat currencies. They When you start bringing things like Bitcoin and even to some extent gold, the strength of the dollar is less apparent. And, and realistically, strength of the dollar would be its purchasing power versus a basket of goods. So by definition, when you have high inflation, you don't have a strong dollar. You have the opposite of a strong dollar. But that's something that people who are from the Keynesian school can't grasp. They're not willing to see that. They would say if the dollar is appreciating versus other currencies, then the dollar is strong. But if the dollar is depreciating against a basket of goods, then by definition, the dollar isn't strong. 
on a similar topic, I you know I read something a few years ago, and I was still kind of wondering if Bitcoin was legit or if it was a good investment. And maybe the thing that really made me the most convinced that it had a huge upside was just talking about these smaller countries and their sovereign funds. And if just a few of these countries started buying a little bit of Bitcoin with their, you know, with their treasuries, then the the price would just completely skyrocket. And I don't know that that's really happened yet. If it has, it's been kind of secret other than maybe El Salvador. But um, it just seems like that's so likely to happen. And it may not be one of the big nations, but if you're a country that has a fair amount of money and you just take 1% of it and buy Bitcoin with it, and then other countries catch wind of that and they start doing the same. It just seems like, uh, why not? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that with Bitcoiners, for me, it's always been these like different stages of adoption. And, you know, obviously, starting central banks start adopting Bitcoin. I mean, th- that would be a complete game changer. But that's like the scenarios where you see $1 million Bitcoin, you know, $21 trillion total market cap. Like those are the kind of scenarios you can get to. Um, and so when people say, well, what's your price target? Where do you, where could Bitcoin go? I mean, there definitely are scenarios where Bitcoin could go to a million dollars. I don't, not necessarily calling for that, but I think that sure. if you're doing an expect, you know, uh, an expected value, you know, probability weighted outcome, there are absolutely scenarios where Bitcoin goes to a million dollars. I don't think a $21 trillion market cap for Bitcoin is impossible. And I, there are certainly scenarios where it goes higher than that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that central bank adoption for Bitcoin is certainly, it is possible at some point. So let's talk about NFTs a little bit. When did you first get a uh, CryptoPunk and what, what was the first NFT you ever bought? Well, the first NFT that I ever bought uh, was Gods Unchained, which was a tradable card game. I played some Magic the Gathering when I was younger and I started seeing hits for in my, you know, on Reddit or Discord or something about, um, about Gods Unchained. I was like, okay, yeah, I could... I could check this out and started buying some packs. This was like um, probably 2018, I guess. 2019. It was 2019. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked it. And I really liked the trading aspect of it. And I liked that it was crypto based. And I liked that it was a card, you know, collecting aspect of it. So for someone like myself, I'd spent a lot of time in traditional finance. I had been involved with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin for a long time. And, um, you know, collecting and trading were just things that I loved. So it was kind of like, this was something that combined a lot of the things that I was interested in. After spending a little bit of time in God's Unchained, I was like, you know, I, I need to look a little bit more into this technology and try to understand NFTs a little bit more. And that's when I came into CryptoPunks. And when I got to CryptoPunks, you know, I immediately knew what I was looking at. I, I think the first time I really looked at CryptoPunks was mid to late April of 2020. And I think I bought my mm-hmm. first CryptoPunk. It was around maybe April... April 25th mm-hmm. of 2020. And then over the next 60 days, oh, sorry, over the next 30 days, I bought 60 crypto punks in the next 30 days. Um, and at one point, I think I had about close to 100 at the peak. Well, yeah. And then, you know, started selling, started selling a lot. But I, I remember seeing you in the crypto punks Discord and you were always, you had a really good strategy. You were like making a lot of bids to people, whether their wallets were active or not. And then, You'd hit on something and you don't always own it cheap. I think I bought the CryptoPunk that my daughter now uses. Uh, I got from you. It was the single trait pink tail with the albino. Oh no, I, I never I never had a pink tail, so that wasn't me. No, but uh, I wonder where I got that from. That's funny because you. I actually thought you were there before me, but I guess I was there a few months before you. And um, I remember when I first kind of 
saw you or that you had a ton of conviction kind of right off the bat. Oh yeah. Which was pretty impressive. It's a small group, right? And then you have someone new come in like you or some other person. Every every week there was like a new person that came in when I was there at the beginning and they were so into it, you know, and it made everyone else oh, feel yeah. better. Like we're not all crazy. Like this, this guy likes it too. No, I was just like, these things are, this is the, uh, having collected things my during my life, I was like, this is the best collectible I've ever seen. It's not even close. I mean, so I guess Yuga is doing some like history of crypto punks and I've been going through my discord messages, to kind of pull out stuff that they want for their book. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just pounding the table, like every week, like doing these write-ups. Oh, the total value of all the crypto punks are only 2 million. This is just ridiculously, like literally using terms like this is ridiculously cheap. This is stupid cheap. There's no way that the, just total, total, total conviction. And of course, you know, back then you remember it was like, like 30 of us every day, just like talking about crypto punks and just like nerding out on it, just going crazy about how, you know, how punks are going to be the most amazing thing. And like, I don't know. I even found one like from late 2020 where it's like, we've already had this move up from like one to six or seven E and I'm just like, we're on the cusp of something amazing happening. Like this is about to blow up. Like we can't even possibly imagine. And it's like, wow, that was just like, I was just so convinced. I've never had conviction. Like I've, like I had on, on crypto bonds in anything. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of conviction too, but I, my whole strategy was I just put in like a really, really small amount of money at the beginning. And, you know, then as I was able to flip, you know, one ETH, two ETH, four ETH, six ETH, and then, you know, I got addicted to the flipping and it was like, when it was at its craziest, like, uh, I actually remember there are a lot of different people, but like, I, I remember specifically Beanie and I like DMing about different flips and like, kind of like challenging each other to like make more in a shorter period of time and like <laughs> stupid stuff like that. And like, probably my best flip, I don't remember exactly. It was like 25 ETH in two days on one freaking crypto punk. It's just insane. But then at the end it was like, oh, why did I sell them all? I guess they taxes and I don't really have them any. Mm-hmm. Taxing your killer. I remember Beanie would just be like, he w- we would chat every once in a while and he'd be like, He's like, he's like, Vaughn, how is it possible that you can hold these up 500x or 1000 x He's like, because like, he was just so in the mode, like if it went up 50%, he would oh, yeah, like, control himself. Yeah. Yep. He's just like, I don't understand. It's like, look, like I wasn't in it for a 10x or a 20x. I just, I had conviction in the space. I thought that what was going to happen was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly, but I thought it was, I did think that was going to happen. I remember telling my wife, I was just like, this is the easy, we're going to, I'm going to make 10 X on this or 20 X on this. And she'd be like, well, how long will that be? I'm like, well, I don't know, but it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I remember thinking that too. I thought for sure five, 10 X was, uh, was programmed in and maybe over five or 10 years. Um, right. And then, you know, when, when COVID happened and they put 7 trillion into the economy that boosted things just a tad, but uh, everyone's sitting in front of their computer all day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was so, no one predicted that it was insane. Like it was, Right. It was so fun to be around back then, not just in punks, but like Top Shot was insane. And did you did you get into Top Shot? Probably a little bit at least. I did because all the punk, yeah, all the punks were in Top Shot, and I was like, I I, put, I remember I put like I bought um they had like two legendary pack drops in the beginning, so I I bought ten yep. in each. Like put I put like five five grand in, and I remember like for for the first six months I was like cursing it out like why did yeah, I dump it was that? terrible why did I yeah why did I put same you know, I dropped twenty ETH on this stupid shit what was I knew what was I thinking and then all of a sudden January twenty twenty one rolls around and everything like 
50 X's. I'm like, I love Top Shot. This stuff is great. Yeah. I mean, stuff where you bought for a dollar, you could sell for a hundred dollars. And I had like 20 of them for a dollar, like it was one player. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it was insane. My my son got into Top Shot. He, he, I don't know how old he was, maybe like 10 or something. And he, I was explaining it to him when it was like total mania time. And um, right, actually right before the total mania time. And so I gave him 50 bucks worth of dapper dollars, which back then were kind of worthless because you couldn't pull out the money, right? That was part of the reason Top Shot went so crazy is for like six months or a year, you couldn't take out any money. So everyone just kept buying more. And uh, he bought like, I don't know, Luka Doncic for like a couple bucks, Steph Curry for 10 bucks, bought a few other ones. And within a week, the Luka that he paid like $8 for went up to $800 in one week. And he was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then I was like, I'm teaching him the worst lesson ever. Like <laughs> making money is never this easy. And then of course he round tripped them all down to like what they were worth when he, <laughs> I think he sold a couple, but uh, there's a couple, I have a couple tweets. I'm like, I was re- re- not tweet discord messages talking about top shot right at the peak. And I was saying, I'm selling everything I can here. I'm telling you guys to sell it. Like, and I mean, of course people don't listen. I mean, I, yeah. I just, I. I never had the love for Top Shot. I did it only because the punks were all getting involved and I didn't want to miss out. So that's why I did it. But like, I didn't really care about basketball moments. It helps when you're detached like that because I got, I did pretty well. I didn't do that great, but I mean, I, I did pretty good at top. I, I sold all mine way after the top, but, but way before the bottom. So I'll take it. But uh, nice, nice. the, uh, because I, I got disillusioned with the whole thing and I kind of realized that this wasn't. I saw that I, I saw pretty clearly that they were going way down even more as people were kind of mm-hmm. opium, and the fact that I could even right. get bids once they introduced bidding on whatever site that is, I just went on there and, call, and accepted like a bazillion bids. And then actually, it's a funny story. The member Pep, the Top Shot main account, retweeted a tweet of mine, and I said, "I'm selling my entire account. Anything that's on sale, I'll sell it for twenty percent cheaper. Just put in an offer." And okay. they retweeted that, and they said, "Help one of our OG collectors, Scaly Nelson." sell his moments and then they got so fucking roasted on the tweet <laughs> that they had to delete it like an hour later <laughs> nice but yeah so you talked about having a hundred punks i remember Franksy would go in and out it might have been 75 it might have been 75 but i said yeah. owned 110 punks but i think i said i think 75 i was trying to get to 100 but i think 75 was the peak i actually had got it got it go and i remember Franksy would do stuff like that too like he went from 100 to zero back to like 200 to zero it was nuts, like how much you would go in and out. And um, how, how many do you have left now? I have 19 left. Oh, nice. Uh, what's your favorite one? I mean, is it the one you're using for your PFP? I mean, I profile one has always been, you know, pretty partial to that. But I mean, I like my zombie. Um, I like the pilot helmet one quite a bit. I like my cowboy. Oh, I love pilot helmet. My cowboy is, I think, could be probably the best cowboy punk in existence. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you... When you had when I had as many as I've had, and I've been slowly selling them down, like when you get down to twenty, like it, it gets hard to sell because I have like an emotional connection to all of these. Not only, you know, do I really like punks, but like it's also been very life changing for me getting involved in punks. And through punks, I met Snowfro, and through Snowfro, I got involved in art blocks. And so it's like, you know, I the, I have a pretty strong connection to the punks I have left now. So it, it is challenging to sell them. You know, I, my daughter has adopted one. My wife has adopted one. So those, and then I, of course I have my profile punk. But those three will obviously never be sold. Um, but I mean, I can't see myself ever having less than 10. Is there one that got away that you wish you had the most that you sold? Oh yeah. I mean, so I bought my zombie for, um, 
two thousand bucks. It was ten ETH at the time. ETH was two hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I just bought my zombie for two grand, and like a couple of days later, a ape pops up, and it's mm. thirty ETH. Thirty ETH. It's six thousand bucks. I have the ETH. I'm sitting in front of my computer. I'm just like, no, like you just spent two grand on the zombie. I, you know, like I said, I bought. 60 punks in the first third day so i'd spent a fair amount of money on crypto punks i'm like you know what you just got a zombie you were all psyched for the zombie you didn't really have any intention of ever you know buying an ape so maybe just let this one go you get the next one yeah just chill just chill for a second yeah Yeah. just chill for a day like you don't you don't you don't spend the eth the second you get it you know so i was like all right and obviously you know i have some regrets over that i wish i had you know i wish i had pulled that trigger (laughs) (laughs) now is there one that you sold so, so what's worse, not buying something or selling something? I feel like not buying something is worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely like plenty of NFTs that I, you know, wish I had pulled the trigger on. You know, like Eternal Pump was, you know, I'm super into art blocks. I've got one of the biggest art blocks collection, but I'm definitely yeah. I don't have an Eternal Pump, and like I missed the drop because I was tied up on a couple of things, and then they, you know, they triple back the drop, so I'm like, I'm not chasing it, and then. When we got to about 20 ETH, I was like, okay, I need to get one of these now because things are, this was probably like April or May of 2021. Like things are starting to pick up again. I start offering trades of like really good ringers, try to get an internal pump and like people are sniffing around, but no one's really motivated. And I was just like, okay, I could buy one for 25 ETH right now. I should just buy it. And then like I waited. That's right when DVD shows up and he buys like six of them and the price goes to 100 ETH. And I'm like, now I'm not fucking buying it. And it's just like, you know yeah um yeah so it bums me out that i don't have one but in the same sense like i have a pretty good art block collection so I, mean, I really really had to have one i could i could trade trade for one but i'm not i'm not paying 100 for one that's it pretty good as an understatement of the year for your art block question for people <laughs> for people who don't know just check out uh your, your what is it vonmises.eth or what is your wallet it's not um vonmises.eth is my main wallet but mo- most of my art blocks well all my all my really good art blocks are in artblocksvault.eth so one of the things that I do, like I take wallet security very seriously. So I really, you know, have a lot of my assets in different wallets so that, you know, even the seed phase is compromised, I don't lose everything. If a wallet's compromised, I don't lose everything. Like, I mean, I think these are pretty important things, like taking digital security very important, I think is a pretty, pretty, pretty big deal. So, you know, look, I was fortunate through the CryptoPunks Discord, I was able to, you know, really network well with snowfro and then when he was getting ready to start art blocks he's talked to me about it and you know i became very 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 active in art blocks from the very beginning i mean i was the number one mentor i was a number one day zero mentor on the whole platform and you know pretty much have been one of the biggest mentors of art blocks throughout i'm into 350 squiggles you know crazy stuff like that 350 squiggles <laughs> yeah at 20 dollars a piece oh my god how many do you have now? I'm down. I have about 120 left. So let's talk about squiggles. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fixate on how I didn't mint any at first and how you minted 350, even though I was right there <laughs> with you and like could have. But you know, we all have our, our ups and downs. But I, I it, you know, squiggles really, honestly, took a long time for me to understand their value. And at the time, even Snowfro said, you know, there's 10,000 because I don't want them to ever mint out. Like I want them to always be cheap, and I want yes. someone to yes. find out about NFTs, come across squiggles get one for 30 bucks and, and be happy. Yep. And yep. he wasn't being that he wasn't being like cheeky or whatever, like that he actually believed that. And oh, so totally. 
I didn't feel a rush, right? I was like, well, I could get one later, like whatever. And um, there was something that happened where all of a sudden they started to mint out, like, and it happened really fast at the end. Uh, they, the end. Didn't, they didn't mint out until, I mean, there was, there was three months. There was months, right? Yeah, months. Where you yeah, months. So about oh, well, 542 square golds minted the first day. Um, and I would say, uh, yeah, you, they, they didn't sell out till probably Feb. So it was no, November 27th. And I think you had until you could have rented them into February. So you had three, you did have like basically three months to mint them. And then once, mm-hmm. once it got to like 7,000, then they meant the last 2000 minted super fast. That's what it was. Like, yeah. The last 2000. I guess I looked at it like. I, I've spoke about this before. I, I mean, like, I really had a lot of respect for Eric, which I'm sure you did as well. You know, he was always in the CryptoPunks Discord. He was always so helpful and always smart and always like sharing solutions. And, you know, while we shared the same vision of the future, he knew a lot more about blockchain and programming than, than I did. And so I looked at him as, well, he's as knowledgeable about me from the collecting standpoint, but he also has all this blockchain based knowledge. And I was kind of like, this is probably the smartest and most honest person I've met in crypto. And if this is what he thinks is good, then I fully support him. And I had plenty of people ask, Bob, why are you mending so many squiggles? Like, you know, I mean, I, don't, I really wanted to show my support for Eric. And it's like, it's crazy. Like, I didn't have any expectations of necessarily making a lot of money on our blocks or squiggles. Right. And it's funny how, how it worked out. Squiggles was literally the best crypto trade I've ever done in my life. Yeah. It's insane. And you are trying to, I was not yeah. trying to, I was literally just showing support for Eric and hoping like, oh, kind of like, kind of like open like baseball cards. Like I was chasing the rares, like trying to hit those hyper rainbows and those hyper rainbow variants. And you know, who, I mean, I remember like getting a fuzzy or a bold and you'd just be like, who cares? Like really, uh, you know, kind of fun. <laughs> That's such a great story because that makes me feel even worse in a way because Snowfro, like every, there's no one who will say anything bad about Snowfro that I've ever met, but, uh, yeah, he was so nice and like such an awesome part of the community. And that's why I feel like even more of it idiot for like, yeah, why shouldn't I, I should have just chipped in a couple hundred bucks and supported him. But I think it was, you know, you have those times, maybe you don't have them as much, but I have these times where like a week or two, I'm just really not into NFTs and I'm like, this is all stupid. I don't even know why I'm doing this. And I feel guilty. I think it was one of those times and I just had told myself I can't spend any more money, you know? And, uh, but then this is funny. So then later we were talking about something, probably top shot and he goes, Oh, like how many squiggles do you have or something like that? And I told him, I said, dude, I feel really bad. Like I never even minted any. I'm such an idiot and they weren't worth that much. then they, they well, they weren't sold out. So they were worth whatever or what, not much. And he goes, Oh, well here. And then he sent me one. He minted one for me. And I'm like, anyone else would have been like you're a dick for not supporting me but he was like oh you need one here have one <laughs> so how cool is that it's it's very a very cool. like floor floor squiggle but like i'm never selling that one right because it has it has so much meaning to me oh um, very cool so let's talk real quick can you look on your um open can you look on OpenSea? because i want you to look at the squiggle that i'm contemplating buying so um sure. it's squiggle number um six two seven six and i've been going deep on the on the rib so this is a harmonic so for those who don't know there's a few different types of squiggles. There's the regular kind, there's fuzzy, slinky, um, ribbed, and bold. And those are the different like shapes and kind of forms. They're, they're very distinctive kind of looking. And just with the ribbed, um, the the out kind of outer casing of the ribbed is a specific shade of color between black and white. 
And on a squiggle, they're dynamic where you can click the space bar up to, I think, 10 or 11 times, and it changes the background color from all the way white to all the way black. And there's, I think, 11 or 10 gradations. And so if the the border of a only for ribbed, if the border matches one of those colors, the border goes away and it just shows these colors on a background. So it doesn't even really look like a squiggle, like it looks very distinctive. And that's called a harmonic. And I think there's 36. The squiggle down is really, if you go to, if you go to squiggle down, you just Google squiggle down and you go to their site, they kind of show you all the different ones. So one of the things like, right. So on a rib squiggle, there's an extra, there's another random roll for the color of the ribs and again it'll fall on that zero to 256 color spectrum i mean these are just white to black Mm -hmm. and then because there's 11 different different backgrounds then it's like every like 26th or something like that there's would would create a harmonic so yeah i mean i don't i don't love rib squiggles they're not my favorites because i feel like they uh, they obstruct a little bit too much of what squiggles are all about like again it's real personal preference um but i feel like you know what makes a squiggle special is all the color and yeah and because because the ribs kind of obscure it a little bit it makes it hard to see all the colors of it so and i think that even and when you look at the when you look at the squiggle market i think that you know like the the uh, rib squiggles don't really carry the premium that they should relative to floors if it was just based on the rarity. Meaning, I think the market yeah. doesn't value ribbed to the same extent that they would otherwise if it was a different type of rare trait that had more eye appeal. That makes sense. It does, and you're right. When you're when you're looking at them, it, it does obscure a lot of the color for whatever reason uh, because it kind of as opposed to pretty much yeah all of the other ones. The pipe yeah, it sort re- of do too yeah. a little bit that doesn't mean like like look i mean you know if you're going to own a whole bunch of swiggles you obviously want to have a ribbed one in there as well it's just um what i would say to you is if you um are looking to add squiggle exposure that you you have one if you're looking at a second one that that's a, a harmonic a ribbed harmonic is a pretty specialized squiggle for a pretty advanced collection so because it's not it doesn't it doesn't have mass appeal Right. So I guess the question is, so I have, I have five total now and I, my last one I got is a low color spread, spread, uh, bold, which low color spread just means it has a lot of colors that you can see. And so it's, it's definitely my favorite. And like, that was very noticeably awesome because it's like big and bold, colorful. Yeah. And I don't have, I had a rib at one point and I actually traded it for a Meridian. And, um, anyway, so I want, I really wanted to get a rib. So I had all the first four yeah. kinds, you know, and then I'm like, yeah. well, this is a really good version of a ribbed and i placed bids it's it's on sale for 25 ETH. I, I placed 21 or 20 ETH bids on like five different harmonics that are that were in wallets where people had actually transacted so i knew they would at least consider a, a sale right okay and no takers and, and not at all and so and i found it also fascinating when i was doing my research i stumbled across four or five wallets that have shit tons of squiggles and they haven't sold any of them like none yeah I don't, I don't know who these people are, but it's crazy the conviction these people have. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously the thousand squiggle wallet is the craziest one. I mean, the person yeah, minted who thousands. Who dis, who dis, who dis, yeah. Minted a thousand squiggles for 35 ETH and just sit with them. Just sits on it. Do we know who that is? We don't. Crazy. It's just crazy. That kind of stuff is nuts. But uh, fair, fair. I don't know, I'll keep, I'll keep pondering. I'll keep pondering. I mean, it's not selling at 25. So obviously no one else thinks it's worth that. But, um, I do think 
this is what I want to do. I want to have, once I have a house that I'm proud of, my house right now is kind of random and I don't really have a great like space to put art in, but I want to have the, I have one squiggle that I got from the, uh, the gallery. What was it called? Um, Venus over Manhattan. Venus over Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. Did you get one of those? They look really cool. Yeah. That was the, that's the one, um, that's the one that that's my most expensive squiggle that I've ever bought. <laughs> oh yeah. Hilarious. It was 10 grand at the time, I think. Exactly. So I, I have one of those. It's a, I got a pretty lucky mint. It's a, it's a slinky and it's almost monochrome. It looks pretty cool. Oh, nice. And so I, nice. I have that one in my bathroom and it's kind of like a nightlight for my bathroom because I have it, you know, it's on all the time and uh, it's really, really cool. So I want to have all five of my squiggles in one of those frames. And then I thought this one, having a harmonic in one of those frames where you match the background uh, so that it looks, you know, like a, like a ghost or whatever is um would, would look really cool like like as a, as another version it's just the the collection is so cool because the more you geek out on it the more there is to, to discover and i don't think most people really understand it yet and so if i'm banking i mean again i want to collect these and own them and i don't know that i would ever sell them so not really so it's kind of like what you were saying like for this particular thing it's not so much to try to make money it's more like i want to get these before it's too late or you can't get yeah. out of these for an affordable price um, and by the way, I think that, you know, we are coming up by the last squiggles are supposed to be minted by the end of the movie. Yeah. So I think, you know, once, once the file squiggle is minted, I think that's a big deal for the collection overall. There'll be a lot of hype. The other thing that I like about the ribbed is that some of them end directly on the plane of the, I don't know how to describe it, but like, it's like a perfect circle and the circle just changes colors. Yeah. And, um, it's fairly common amongst the ribs. But um, amongst the harmonics, I think I counted it out of the 36, there's like 11 or 12 or something. And so it just adds another feature that's kind of cool. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. So do you have any, um, I, I wanted to ask about traditional art. Do you have any experience collecting traditional art or is this all kind of new with NFTs? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I, me getting into NFTs and generative art and crypto punks really led more from a collecting background than an art background. So I collected various things in my life and you know then have got become more active in the generative art and art community through you know my love of nfts and more of an appreciation but you know like i like going to museums i like looking at art i like looking at you know going to places seeing cool art and going to museums to, to view art but i wasn't a big personal collector of art until nfts same same for me exactly and the exact same experience and I have collected a few physical pieces and um, the problem I have is I don't, I live in Hawaii and the climate isn't great here. I finally got an air conditioned room uh, to put them all in, but like, it's not the best place to, to store high value art. Um, I do like the fact that an NFT can't ever get like a rubbed corner or a crease or something. That's right. That's right. You can't put your elbow through it like Steve Wynn did. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And then uh, let's talk about, oh, uh, one other thing. Did you hear about the Larva Labs? fingerprint DAO NFT. Did you hear about that? Yeah. I mean, I saw that announcement. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm very curious as to what exactly, you know, that means or what exactly it's going to be. I mean, I know that, uh, there are a couple other DAOs that I know have talked about switching from an ERC 20 token to an NFT based membership token for a lot of different reasons. So I'm not surprised that they're doing this. I guess the question is like, yeah, I mean, is it going to be like, you know, a crypto punk esque type project? I, you know, I, I don't know. It's very intriguing because I mean, I kind of thought Larva Labs was out of the game. I thought they had hung it up, you know, but apparently not. Right. 
Well, I mean, it's good. I mean, it, it'll be good to see something new from them for sure. What did you think about MeBits? What was your initial reaction? I love MeBits. You know, well, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I got 40 for free. So like that, yeah, it's something to do with it. But I, I was very active. Like, so that drop happened, I think it was like in April and then they went up initially and then they dropped, drop, drop. And then in June they got, they were down, let's say 50, 60% from the, from the issue price. I bought a ton. I paid like 40 ETH for a skeleton. I picked up this like insane pig for 30 ETH, like with triple matching colors, like just like the best pig you could find. Like, I, I, I think I have like, I don't know, 60, like really, really, really good bit. So clearly it's not been a good trade. I'm not into the collection for very much, but in the same sense, I had much higher expectations. And I mean, I, I absolutely thought that Larva Lab was going to do a lot more with them than they did. I was really surprised. I, I genuinely thought their expectation, my expectation was these guys have done too much in the space to just like do this drop and walk away. They've got bigger plans. And, you know, that was really off by me. Um, you know, I would say Mebits is probably the one nft investment like that i went bigger than i normally would go and got it really really wrong very surprised that i i, I mean i'm i'm not a seller i love my bit so i just yeah. i'm wondering when the utility is gonna not and i don't mean utility that they're providing but the ability to use them in a metaverse you know it's taking a little bit longer in the same sense that could also because there hasn't been this proliferation of 3d metaverse ready avatars for people to use that people may then look back and be like oh wow these guys were this is one of the first, you know, metaverse ready avatars. These things are awesome. They're OG. They're cool. They're owned by, you know, people that were here at the beginning. So I like these. So, you know, the whole, the narrative could change down the line, but clearly it has yeah. transformed the way I don't think any of us expected. Honestly, my first reaction, I was in the minority, but well, you, so to describe the situation, you know, we called it LL3 and there were all these rumors about LL3 and what was it going to be? And I mean, uh, Autoglyphs was, was the second project. And so mm-hmm. they hit two major home runs. So expectations were through the freaking roof. And then when they released it, it was like kind of right pre like crazy NFT hype. And from what I remember, and the second I saw one, my first reaction was like, these are horrible. <laughs> I, I hated them. And I was going into discord and everyone was all mad at me. They're like, some were like you, like they genuinely liked them. Some were like Justin, I remember, who like was pretending to like them. And finally I was like, come on, Justin, like these things suck. <laughs> a couple of people agreed with me. Most people disagreed with me. I just didn't like them. I didn't see, I didn't see the, I, I just didn't like them. I don't know what else to say. And then over time, I, I did like the community because I, I thought they did start doing a lot of cool stuff. And when I went into the, because di- I had four, you know, I got four free ones. And so I went into the discord and the people were cool there and I liked what they were doing. I just didn't like the aesthetics of it. And I'm not sure. I don't think I'm a believer in this pixelated 3D uh, TFT kind of thing in the metaverse. I like. I kind of feel like that's already passed. Like that's not going to happen. Possible. I think to, in Larva Labs' defense, I mean, I think they made them kind of pixelated because, well, one, it's kind of their style, but also if you ex- if your hope is to have them used in a wide variety of you know metaverse worlds, you want the graphic load to be really low so that they're not. You know, taking up. I, I I assume that would might have had something to do with why they were so simplistic. But I mean, I thought the simplistic simplicity of it was kind of like the appeal, also. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. For I guess I just don't understand. Like, it doesn't work as a PFP any better than something two dimensional. Maybe they were thinking in the future you'll have a 
more animated TFT or something. I, I, well, I mean, I think that I think literally their expectation was in the not too distant future, there will be working metaverses where people would need 3D avatars and this would be your 3D avatar. Like this, when I look at my media collection, like I think of it as like, oh, this is going to be someone's digital identity. Like they're literally like, if we're interacting in it in a digital world, in a metaverse setting, like this will be somebody. That's how I looked at them. Like more than just like a PFP avatar where it's just like your face. Like this is actually how people are like, going to be the full body representation of someone in a digital world. Yeah, we'll see. I, I remember some of the videos of them like dancing and everyone's like, oh, look, it's dancing. I'm kind of like, okay, <laughs> it's, it's dancing. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, obviously it's hard to know what, you know, what the future holds, but I mean, I, I think that there could be metaverse ready worlds, like large numbers of people will be interacting in, in, in the, in the future and they're going to need avatars. So I don't know. We'll, Will me bits be looked at like, oh, these were early avatars put out by Larva Lab. They were ahead of their time. You know, these become really valuable. I mean, I I, I think that's possible. Sure, it's definitely possible. I, d- I don't disagree. Uh, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't bet against you. So in the future, we'll see. We'll see what happens to them. It'll be interesting to see. Ooh, I, I did want to talk about something else. That, you know, my do you do you have a noun? Are you into nouns at all? I do have a noun. Uh, I do. Okay. Yeah, I like I like nouns. I like the concept. I think that. Uh, Obviously, the situation's been a little bit more challenging lately. Uh, you know, I I spoke to four one five six quite a bit about nouns, and we've talked about some of this through messages and stuff like that. And you know, look, it's it's a big decentralized experiment. You know, can a bunch of let's say NFT whales come together to make good decisions that ultimately benefit the ecosystem and you know generate interest in the space? And anytime you have it take on something that's relatively new with a large amount of money and a large amount of risk and a large amount of upside, it also means that there's a lot of risk and it might not work out. And as of right now, it doesn't seem like it's working out, but that doesn't like, you know, it's like any bet that we make in the space or in crypto or in traditional finance, you know, there's some expectation that it's going to 10x or 50x or 100x. But anytime you start introducing the potential to have 10x, 50x or 100x type returns, you also have to recognize that there's a giant amount of risk and not every, you know, only beanstalks are to heaven as they say, you know? So if I think that an investment has 50 X potential, well, you need to recognize that there's also quite a bit of risk that it might not work out. And for me, my involvement in nouns was kind of like, okay, I think these PFPs are, are cool and interesting. They're pretty limited relative to other PFPs. And you also get this ownership stake in this treasury that also has a lot of value. And it seems that overall that the money that nouns have spent haven't really produced the returns they expected. But, you know, I don't think anyone who's invested money in the last two years in crypto or NFT space overall has seen the expectations that they would have liked to have had. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I know there's talks about trying to buy a crypto punk, which I support. Uh, I, I think that could be something good. I think it could well some of the demands for people to you know rage quit or cash out so you know i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes yeah it's interesting when you put it that way i mean yeah you're, you're so right that you, you can't really compare a project that launched in the last couple of years and say oh it didn't do well because almost no project's done well that's not really their fault um i am curious about so, so is it one noun one vote no matter what you paid for the noun is that how it works correct yes 
So that's an interesting dynamic because I think they went for as much as 100 ETH when ETH was a lot more, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, for a while, uh, it announced were like, you know, 200 to 300,000 right, pretty regularly. Yeah. And now you can get one. You can win an auction for 60K or so? Uh, yeah, around 30 ETH about where they've been going. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, it kind of makes that for, I was going to ask you who's buying them now. Like, why would you buy one now with their track record? But then it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. It's a lot less risky. I mean, 38 is a lot of money, but it's a lot less risky than most projects in the sense that you're buying in for way cheaper than most people to get one vote. Right, right. They've got 28,000 ETH in the treasury, which is like 37 ETH per noun. So if yeah. you're buying a noun for 30 ETH, 31 ETH, in theory, you're buying a share of the treasury at a discount. Now, granted, there you don't, as of right now, have the ability to cash that out. But that's why there's so much tension in, in, in the nouns community, because I guess on some level, people want that option, but in the same sense, that does kind of threaten the existence of nouns. So, you know, if nouns decide to spend their whole treasury buying CryptoPunks, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think it's better than have it, having it just sit in ETH and have people fighting about how they're going to cash it out. Yeah, I mean, the, the counter argument I would make is that if they were any kind of public company, the way they mishandled their treasury thus far is, is pretty, someone would get fired. Right. That's why I look Can at you it. Hear me? Oh, now we do. Yeah, I think you're sorry. So, something happened on my phone. I apologize. I thought maybe I offended you with my criticism of nouns. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you will, you will de definitely not offend me. By the way, I, I will say that your CryptoPunk is very iconic. The white hair with the 3D glasses. I really like it. It's always been one that's stuck in my mind as, as a very good CryptoPunk. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the... The other one I I was using before this one was a single trait hoodie albino, which um, I'm sad I got rid of it. But at the same time, I sold it. That was my biggest realized win in crypto. So I'll take it. And I used that. What did you sell for? Something. 340, 350,000, nice. which, um, nice. you know, now it could sell for more, but whatever, you know, at the time it was, it was pretty epic and in a way life changing because um, I made some personal decisions at that time. To do something nice. that I never would have done if I hadn't gotten that money. So I put it to good use. Nice. Um, but it does sting when I'm seeing all this hoodie loves. And I had, I mean, it, that was like a top 10 hoodie, I think, for sure. Maybe not. It was a pretty good one. It was a pretty damn good one. And yeah. it kind of sucks that I don't have it anymore. I don't have a hoodie. And I had another hoodie that I slipped in like a week, you know, a very only held it for like a few days. But uh, if I could have, if I could do it over again, I would have held on to it. I sold my hoodie too. I sold my hoodie because I thought they got really out of black relative to everything else. Yeah. They've held that value. Um, but, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to complain about anything I've done in crypto punks. Yeah. For me, the, my, my punk is obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but it's my favorite NFT and it's sort of my identity. And I don't, it's the last thing I would ever sell. I mean, something really bad would have to happen for me to have to sell it. And so I do think that's, again, such a strong argument for crypto punks in general. Like, I think. Unless Yuga somehow totally screws them up, which I think hopefully they won't, then the fact that there's only 10,000, and I think there's only like 3,000 unique holders because like you have 20, I have three, a lot of people have more than one. So once these slowly get distributed, I mean, to have one of these as your PFP when you're trying to build in the Web3 space is such a great, you know, not really a flex, but just a, it just like if someone DMs you and they have a CryptoPunk and you know that it's like a real person with a CryptoPunk, you're going to, probably want to talk to them right yeah yeah so look it's it's a pretty small club i mean it's a good club to be in i mean it's it's as og as it gets in the space i mean i always i know i was 
someone was talking about CryptoPunks and I, the last one, one of the lines I used was OG never goes out of style. And that's the reason why, you know, I love CryptoPunks and the reason why a lot of people love CryptoPunks. It's a lot of the people that are builders and highly respected people in the space are repping CryptoPunks and they've been repping them since before they were cool and before anyone really cared about them. And that's the reason why CryptoPunks are special because before it mattered, a lot of the people that are looked up to in the space were repping CryptoPunks. What do you think about Yugo's acquisition? Are you were you okay with that? Are you worried about that? I mean, I've I've been a little more supportive, I think, than most people in the punk community. They, they haven't really given us a reason so far to to doubt them. I understand that that could change. I think that Larva Labs was absolutely not handling the situation well, so something needed to be done. You know, ideally, I would have preferred that Larva Labs do what Yuga did. Um, in terms of the commercial rights, you know, I think the, the V1, V2 dust up, you know, needed to be squelched properly. And by giving commercial rights to V2 holders, like you really differentiate it. And that's something that needed to be done. Um, so, you know, overall, I don't necessarily have a problem with Yuga or what they've done. As long as I leave CryptoPunks alone, I'm going to be fine. I did not like the fact that Yuga, you know, instituted a royalty on crypto on uh, MeBits and claimed they were going to do all this delivery and it's that was bullshit i knew that was going to be bullshit at the time and i'm really not happy with with that you know you don't put a five percent tax on MeBits and then not deliver anything back that was ridiculous and of course you had all the yuga fanboys like oh no you gotta wait bond you're being not fair you know they look how much they've built them like well, i guess we got promises and they get their five percent right now and sure enough here it is a year plus later and they've done nothing for me bits, but yet, you know, well, look, the royalty thing ended up getting, getting worked out. And by the way, like I'm, I've definitely, I absolutely always think that everyone should get their royalties. I fully support artists and content creators and me personally, given what I've accomplished in the space, I would never not pay a royalty, but on a me bit, I might consider it because that was, that was changed after the fact. They instituted a royalty after the fact. So while I pledge that I would never try to avoid a royalty on a me bit, I would actually consider it. Yeah, I think it's so different. I mean, the royalty thing for artists is one thing. And like, for example, if I sell a piece of an artist and I'm making money, I'm going to give the artist their fair share, of course, because like, yes. why wouldn't you? But if you're losing money selling some 10,000 collection and the money wasn't going to an artist, it was just going to this you know, anonymous person or company that's maybe not anonymous, but isn't delivering. I don't think you have any, if you can get around it, I don't see any moral problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like in general, I want to support the royalty model. So in general, I want to make sure royalties are paid, but it, like you said, it's much more important to me Yeah, for, for art specifically versus especially something like a media where when we entered into the agreement, there was no royalty, and then Yuga bought them and implemented a royalty and gave us nothing back. Like I would not have a problem necessarily not paying them a royalty on a bit. I haven't had it hasn't come up yet, but I, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that one as of right now. I don't know. It sounds like you're pretty decided actually. I don't see <laughs> I don't see you paying a royalty if you sell one. I know, but when push comes to shove, if I actually sell something and I make money, yeah. like do I really want to take the reputational hit potentially? I think you'd be fine if you did that on that particular one. Do you do you collect much? Uh, do you, oh, sorry, do you collect much one of one art? 
Um, a little bit. I, I, I mean, it's definitely one of the areas of my collection that's a little bit lacking. So I have been trying to fill in, you know, some spots. I'm still missing. I don't have a good Grant Yoon. I don't have a good Beeple. Uh, How about X Copy? I actually, he, I, one of the, one of my biggest regrets and one of my biggest successes relates to X Copy. So I was pretty early with X Copy. Um, he actually commissioned, I got him to I, do a commission for me. He did a one of one for me in May of 2020. We agreed to wow. the price of, we agreed to a price of 3000 bucks. And about a month later, he sent me the piece. I paid him his, it was about 12 at the time. And um, I listed it for sale at what I thought was a like really stupid level. And uh, in, you know, in January of 2021, the market started picking up a little bit overall. And, if, you know, using CryptoPunks as a reference, the punk floor had gone from like one to like, let's say five or six and things are six or seven. Things are starting to pick up a little bit. Some X copy pieces start trading fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. I remember saying, telling my wife, I'm like, oh, I go the X copy weren't of one I bought. Like, you know, things are starting to pick up a little bit. I wonder if I should, you know, take the listing down. And she's like, well, how much do you have it listed for? And it was pretty high numbers. Like, just leave it. And um, in March of 2021, four one five six contacts me. He goes, hey, uh, I see you have this. Uh, Know, X copy one of one for sale on super rare. Do you have any room in it? And I was like, nah, it's, you know, X copy stuff starting to pick up a little bit. So I think I'm just gonna, you know, leave it. And like 15 minutes later, he market buys it for 250 ETH. It was half a million bucks. I almost fell off my fucking chair. Um, wow. and I mean, at the time it was about $200,000 more than the highest X copy piece had ever sold for. Um, but then, you know, just a couple months later they were, you know, there was, pieces that were selling into seven figures. So um, it's one of my biggest regrets uh, because if I had known how the NFT space would play out and the amount of money that ultimately the investments that I had made in the space were going to make, I never would have sold this piece. But at the time, you know, I hadn't sold really anything. And, you know, clearly this was a pretty big win. So this was, that was like my first really, really big sale. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Which one, which piece was it? Hope. Hope. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Let's pull it up. Uh, that's a really interesting story. I mean, a couple of points. If 6529 is in your DMs, that's a good thing. Oh, 4156. Well, either way, 4156 is in your DMs asking about a piece. So that's a good thing. Oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What, when was that? May of 2020, you said? May of 2020. April, I, I contacted him in April of 2020 and in May of 2020, I got it. Yeah. That's so cool. Something I've learned uh, from buying and selling enough is if you have something listed and you get, definitely if you get more than one DM, but even if you get one DM inquiring if you have room on it, not only should you say no, you might even delist it because it will sell and yeah. it'll usually sell before it goes up. You know, Every time I contact somebody on something, I literally go through a mental calculation in my mind. I'm like, okay, if I reach out to this person, what is the probability that not only are they going to say no, but because I'm asking, they're going to pull it or jack it. And I had to basically right. stop doing it because like the last 10 people I've reached out to and asked, they immediately were like, not only is it not, am I not cutting the price? I'm doubling the price. You know, if you're, if you're asking about it, you know, forget it. I'm, I'm not selling it. Well, that's because they're smart and you actually are, have too much of a reputation now. So it's like, if, if they know you're interested and that's like such confirmation, that is probably 
about to sell or something. So yeah, yeah that's that's kind of funny. You should use like some intermediary to go through next time to buy for you. I'm available. Uh, I'm available. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't tell you my hyper rainbow story real quick. I had there's a hyper rainbow that uh, the guy who invented NFTX. Uh, what was his name? Alex or something or uh, Gauss or something. Anyway, okay. He Goss. Yeah, right. Goss. Gus. He had it listed for I don't know twenty eight ETH, and I had twenty eight ETH, and I was gonna buy it, but it was a lot of money then. And you know, if it's it had been sitting there for at least a little while, and so I'm like, these hyper rainbows are gonna be hard to get, man. I don't know. I should probably just buy it. And I'm like, I don't know. Twenty eight's a lot. I'll see if he can come down. So I reached out to him. I'd never talked to him before, you know, person to person. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, Do you have any room? Would you take a bid of eighteen? And I went to bed. And then I woke up and I checked my DM and he said, sure, I can do 18. And I was like, sweet. And I log on, to, I click the tab to where I was looking at it and it says for sale 2080. And then I refresh it to log in and buy it. And it was owned by someone else. It had been bought overnight. I was so devastated. For 28? 28. For 28. Yeah. Oh. And, and he goes, and then he messaged me back. He goes, sorry, man. Like, I wasn't trying to screw you around. Like, it looks like it just sold. I'm like, you guys. Yeah, that's not his fault. That's not his fault. No, it wasn't his fault at all. No, no, no. It wasn't his fault at all. I wasn't mad at him, but uh, I was mad at myself. That was cheap. That's crazy. I knew it was real, and I'm never going to get one now. I'll never have one when I could have. So that's a bummer. I have, um, when I was minting them, I actually minted consecutive hyper rainbows and I kept them. So number one, seven, number one, seven, seven, zero, and one, seven, seven, one. Squiggle one, seven, seven, zero, one, seven, seven, one are in my collection. And they're consecutively minted hyper rainbows that I minted. So that's kind of a cool. There's only there's three pairs of consecutively minted hypers in the collection. That's really cool, man. There's actually the hyper rainbows aren't quite as rare as I initially thought. I think aren't there like a hundred something? Uh well, there's eighty eight that are there's eighty nine that are not variants. I think there's hundred and twenty five total, but forty of yeah. them are variants, and then like eighty Somewhere between 85 and 90 are the regular base hypers. And make it move. Uh, click on the click on the squiggle. You got to watch their hyper rainbows move. They're so cool. They're good. Their hypers are good. For yeah. those who haven't seen them, they have like multiple, multiple colors and they just look so freaking cool. I uh, I remember like asking Snow in the beginning, like, so I'm, I show up on the first day, obviously, and I'm minting a bunch of squiggles and I'm like sending them nuts. Snow, I'm like, is this a good one? Is this a good one? Is this a hyper? Is that a hyper? I remember him saying to me, he's like, when you mint a hyper, he goes, there will be no doubt that it's a hyper. Yeah. And like, obviously the colors of a hyper, when you see one, you're like, oh yeah, you're never going to confuse that for anything other. Like, you're never going to confuse a regular squiggle for a hyper. Once you see a hyper, you know that that's what a hyper is. So I came across a hyper harmonic. That's pretty sick. Go, hey, Pep, go to Squiggle Dow. Uh, just Google Squiggle Dow and then go to their website. Oh, the, the, the trade. The hyper, the, right, there's one that's got his trade explorer. The ghost, um, the ghost hyper ribbed. Yeah, that one's super sick. Yeah, yeah. Go down. Yeah, it's a ghost. That's right. Ghost is where it's white. And then go to the very bottom of the uh, trait page. I think it has, um, keep going, keep going down. Go to harmonic at the end. Yeah. And then click gallery, open in gallery. And then um, go down to see, oh, there it is. Top left. Click on that bad boy. That is so sick. Most people would say that's quite possibly the top square one the whole collection. Yeah, I was wondering if that's the best one. What number is it? Yep. It's five double two one. Five two two one. So yeah, so it it's where it's a ghost, so it's all white background and no you can't see the shell of the ribbing and it's just the hyper rainbow colors. It's super, super unique and awesome looking. 
yeah, it's um, it's a good one. Just checking. There, there's two that are kind of similar. There's one is definitely um, better than the other. Just want to just check. Did I make that one move again? Click on it. Yeah. Is there another harmonic? I don't think so. Um, there's one that's very similar. I just want to make sure that's the yeah. And I don't know who owns that one. I was trying to figure out who that owner is because they have a bunch of really good ones. Oh, five two two one. That 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 is the one. That that's the yeah. one. Also, like so, the ribbing has, like I said, two hundred and fifty six different color hues. Like this is actually the purple. Oh yeah, because you can actually see them all. It's actually the per like the specific colors only one shade that's exactly pure white every other shade is most of them within a couple of shades you can't tell but this is actually perfect white also which is this super is a super 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 rare squiggle i don't know what it would sell for but it's pretty pretty spectacular also the way the colors look it just flows really nice definitely top 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 squiggle nice you heard it here first as von misi says it's the best squiggle on the planet if I could pick any squiggle out of the collection, that would definitely very likely be the one I'd pick. So listen, we've been at it over an hour, and I really appreciate your time. Anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I can give you another 10 or 15 minutes if you need it. Otherwise, I'm, I'm having a great time talking. I don't really ever want to be a podcast that talks about like the current trends and like drama and stuff. But at the same time, I thought a couple things were funny this week that I noticed. Uh, was, one was I saw a few... Um, do you have any doodles? Did you ever have doodles? I never got involved with doodles. Yeah. I got involved a little bit and um, ended up, uh, I guess I ended up losing money on them, but whatever. I, I, you know, like all these other projects, you kind of go in and out at some point. But apparently they did some shoe thing where they gave people free shoes, but they didn't ask your shoe size. So you just got like some <laughs> random pair of shoes in the mail that was uh, very unlikely to fit you. Did you guys see anything awesome. about that? I didn't. That's, that's, that's amazing. Truly. Yeah. I don't know the details, but I saw at least five or six different tweets on my timeline of people pissed off about it. So there must be something to it. It's pretty funny. And then uh, I've been enjoying. Do you follow Keyboard Monkey? I do. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do follow him. I love his tweets. And I think uh, he's been tweeting a lot about barbecue mishaps. He's like a terrible, he's terrible at making barbecue. I saw his bur <laughs> I saw his dried out beef brisket, folks. He's already seen yeah. that. Yeah. Pretty funny. It, I grew up in Texas and and he, uh, I said, dude, like you've cooked it way too long. Like you got to cook it to 190 max and take it out, put it oil, you know. And he's arguing with me, like, oh no, the Franklin cooked it to 203. I'm like, okay, but like, how did yours turn out? <laughs> like, did it turn out good or bad? Like, I've made brisket like 10 times, it always turns out great. Yeah, over, over, overcooking it is not not a recipe for a good meal. I like his style of tweets where he's he's pretty humble and like he'll brag, but then he'll also talk about his losses. And yeah, he's pretty fun to follow. Yeah, and he's overall has pretty good calls. Uh, he does, he does for sure. He, you know, he's made, he's good market timer. Or uh, I like watching him play poker as well. He's 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 very good at uh, real time risk assessment. So good trading instincts, good risk instincts, and overall just uh, you know pretty pretty smart, well thought out, and very strong understanding of risk, which is good. Do you do any swing trading? Because he, he swing trades all the time. And I'm curious, I, I don't really see you as a swing trader. You know, I spent um, a lot of years in traditional finance. And if there's one thing I, I really did learn is that, um, you know, tr trying to trade the market is extremely difficult. And I've made a lot of money in traditional markets. I've made a lot of money in crypto and I do not trade. I buy and hold and I have a long-term thesis and 
you know, like I, we were talking earlier, like, you know, Beanie couldn't understand how I could hold something up 500X or up 1,000X. It's like, that's the type of trades that I like to do. I'm, uh, I have associates and friends that are much more short-term, and I like to talk to them to get a picture of the technicals and understand what's happening. But, you know, when they want big picture, they come to me. When I want short-term, pic- you know, when I want technicals or short-term, I go to them, and that's kind of how it works. For me, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't pay a lot of mind to technicals. I don't think, I think trading is for 99.9% of people, it's going to end very badly. Yeah. Swing trading is really hard. I, I got kind of lucky where I, I sold all my top shot when, um, a while back and I had it in USDC. So I just had it sitting there and I told myself I would, I took a little bit out of his cash and then I, the rest of it, I'm like, I'm just going to keep this in my crypto universe and buy ETH at some point. I don't know when is going to be the right time. And then when Luna happened and ETH went down to $1,000, I was like, I don't see it getting lower than that. And and I I put like half of it in then. And then the other half was when uh, the circle, remember when USDC was like the liquid for like a few minutes yeah. or hours or whatever? That was when, uh, when Silicon Valley Bank blew up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I kind of panicked then. It went down to 93 cents and I was like, okay, like I don't want my stable coins going to zero and I just bought ETH even at a huge premium right because of the conversion but ETH was like 1500 I think so yeah I put a bunch of tweets out oh yeah you yeah I remember kind of arguing with you about it yeah and like I said I mean look having spent some time in traditional finance and fixed income like there's literally no risk in that portfolio there's none there's they own treasury bills and cash like in market parlance the risk-free rate is the three-month treasury bill rate that's considered the rate that you have no risk really to principal or interest, you know, you're going to get your money back and you're going to get paid. Their entire portfolio is three months and in their entire portfolio. And what's not invested in U.S. treasuries is literally sitting in cash. So the ability for something like USDC to not be able to meet obligations, you literally need a shutdown of the U.S. banking system. Otherwise, they can, with 100% certainty, meet any and all obligations that arise. Treasury bills can be sold for same day settled. So even if 50% of people showed up to redeem USDC on the same day, they could meet that obligation, in my opinion, no problem. So if USDC has a problem, then we should just need to all go home and turn the computers off because everything's wiped out. There's no, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Max Max scenario. That, that's, uh, you know, so when you hear people question USDC, they, in my opinion, and no offense, they don't know, they don't understand what they're owning and they don't understand what they're buying. In my, in my opinion, like there was no possibility of USDC going to zero. It literally wasn't possible. You could have been potentially delayed a day or two, but they had 3% of their assets in Silicon Valley bank. They own a portfolio that's throwing off 5% a year. Even if the 3% blows up in about six months, they would earn that back from their portfolio. Like there's just, if you're, if you're concerned about owning USDC or you view USDC at any point in time as having too much risk, you need to get out of crypto because you just, it, this is the least of your concerns. Yeah. I remember you tweeting that because it's happened when I was on vacation, I was actually on the, on the Maui with my kids and I didn't want to be plugged into anything, but I couldn't help but notice USDC went down to 91 cents. Yeah. And I had a lot of money in USDC and, and I didn't I didn't know all the ins and outs of it the way you do. I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And I I just feared the way the irrational markets work. I mean, I mean, you talk about redeeming. It's not like I can redeem my USDC 
efficiently. Like I would just sell it on Uniswap for no, but you I don't know, but you won't in reality you can. I mean, you can you can literally send the money to Coinbase and redeem it for cash. Now they okay, so Coinbase suspended redemptions over the weekend, but they suspended redemption because over the weekend the banking system is closed. You you couldn't literally you literally couldn't present the treasuries for redemption. And they were concerned that if you know, 30, you know, 50, 25% of people wanted to redeem their USDC on a weekend, they wouldn't be able to have the money available. But if the banking, if, if it's during a business day, they have the ability to sell their treasury literally for cash, meaning same day settlement. So look, I spent time in the bond market. So like, you know, when you, when you look at a portfolio of treasury bills, three months at end, it's just not something you need to be concerned about from a risk standpoint. It's just not. Our friend, no one. Uh, there's a hoodie crypto punk. He uh, he actually traded that really, really well, right? I think he made a bunch of money that weekend because he bought a bunch at 91 cents, and then yeah, he knew it was going to go back up to a dollar. He had no, he had zero concern. When I was like freaking out, he had zero. There concern. was zero concern. And look, if I had if I had 90 percent of my net worth in it, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But what I'm saying to you is like, sure, if you know, look, I did a bunch of work on it because for I, uh, reasons I'm not going to get into, but I needed to have a very high level of confidence in USDC. And, you know, it's something that you would literally be willing to stake your reputation on. Like the least of your problems is going to be USDC if USDC has a problem. Seriously. Yeah. I will say that was the first time I've ever bought crypto. I bought ETH, you know, with it where I actually bought crypto, not as a speculation, but as- Flight to safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like I felt like it was more safe and more secure than the US dollar, the way the banking system was looking that weekend. Or that month or whatever and so and i don't even think that was necessarily wrong and eth has gone up since then it hasn't gone back down so i think a lot of that i think it went from like 1500 to 2000 range and so a lot of the reason it went up i think it was because similar mindset it's like all this banking nonsense and then then, and then you kind of focus on the dollar and the strength of the dollar it just reinforces like why crypto exists in the first place and that's also what's so cool about eth is like it's just it's this thing we use to buy and sell nfts but oh by the way it's you know, it's also kind of like Bitcoin now in the sense that it's not inflationary, really, maybe slightly inflationary, but whatever, you know, it's, it's hard money in a way. Right. Yes. Yes. So I think, uh, I don't think we're going to make any enemies on this pod talking about how great beef is, but you know, not exactly <laughs> a hot take. Uh, let's see. Oh, one other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, were you, were you clued into this prohibition art, uh, the generative art that uses the Artblocks engine, I believe, and it's on Arbitrum? I am not familiar with it. Oh, uh, shoot. I was hoping you knew a little more about it than I do because I don't know much. I listened to a podcast or uh, Spaces the other day and they had their launch, I think yesterday it was. And Snowpro was talking about it on the Spaces. So he was excited about it. But um, I have something to look into. I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I think the first drop was only 100 pieces, the monospatial by Emily Edelman. And what I was honestly trying to figure out is like, is this a really like smart buy because it's like the first. You know the genesis launch mm -hmm. on this platform but i i don't know enough about it to figure out if that's really what is going I on i mean there's been such a proliferation of platforms you know obviously our blocks kind of like you know, basically started the long form generative art craze and now there's been like a lot of different platforms popping up i i, I think that and a lot of people say oh look squiggles was the genesis drop on our block so you know owning the first drop has added value yes but there's only going to be one art blocks you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. And, and I've been very leery to buy leery, weary. What's the word? Weary, weary, afraid. Weary, say weary, weary. Yeah, weary means you're tired. 
Well, I'm a little weary. I'm, I'm wary of uh, buying stuff on these other platforms because there's so much risk, right? Like I bought some really great pieces. One example would be my MT Cause Tectonics. You know, I like that one. Yeah, it's a great drop. And, and so that's not maybe the best example. Well, it is a good example because it's a great drop. It's great art. I got the physical brand to have a frame. I don't really want to sell the NFT, but I think it, the price is definitely hurt by the fact that it's just, just it's just kind of sitting there in nowhere. And it's like, how does someone even come across this? And it doesn't have it's enough his, of a market. It's on his own know. contract though. It's on his own contract. So, I mean, that's good actually. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like, you know, a lot of these smaller bright moments drops, it's hard to get a lot yeah. of traction because especially with bright moments, because like they have a hardcore collector base of like really hardcore gen art collectors. And like a lot of us aren't selling that are collecting. So there's like a very, very small amount to turn over. It's just hard to get any traction when there's not that activity. But you know, one of the things to keep in mind is all of this has been taking place, you know, more or less in a bear market. The lack of liquidity means it's hard to get any traction in a bear market, but in a bull market, when people are like, oh, MP cause is someone I want to own and they're looking to own MP cause stuff, they're going to be like, oh, Tectonic was the drop that he did on his own contract and that's what I want to own. I really like the art and there's, because there's no liquidity, if you want, you know, five people come in to buy a Tectonic and the price could 5X. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it's a lack of liquidity and a lack of volume. Yeah, yeah. But the lack of liquidity, you know, look, we saw a little bit of it in the summer of 2021. Like, even for collections of 500 and 1,000, there were just no sellers and there was a lot of buyers coming into the market. And you, were, you know, Dwarf Ringers went to 180 ETH and Floor Fidenzas went to 300 ETH. And, you know, like things just got insane. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of these smaller collections, you know, if and when we get back to a bull market, especially some of the smaller collections for some of the top artists in the space. Yeah, you're right. The low, the fact that there's no volume or very little volume is generally bad for sellers, but it's also bad for buyers because, for example, I'm trying to get a very unique Chromie Squiggle I mentioned, and there's no right. seller. So there's one seller and it's a high price and there's no other one. Like I've tried every other person and no one's selling them. So it's like I either have to pay that price or I'm not going to get it. Eventually someone will buy that one. And then guess what? The next one's going to be more expensive. So it's like, That's right. yeah. It's interesting. It, it reminds me of the old, old, old days, you know, like when you saw a really good punk like go up and before we had punks OTC and all this liquid, you know, wrapped punks and stuff, it was like, you may not see another punk like that for, I mean, remember how pigtails were so rare, like back in the day, like yeah. I saw a pigtail go for, go for any kind of amount. Like that was a huge deal. Like, oh, those never go up on the market. And it's funny how I that's re- kind of changed over time. I just remember like when I was accumulating my punks, like it was really, it was hard to find ones with strong eye appeal and rare traits. And like when they came up, you better have your wallet ready because they are going to trade fast quickly. I remember like, that's not yep. that made me feel like I was onto something because like there was a lot of punks always for sale, but if you were really discerning and looking for something a little rarer and something that all fit together and something that had good eye appeal, like you just didn't see them. And when they did come up, they went very, very, very quickly. And I was like, okay, there are actually a lot of people looking at this space right here. There's a lot of people that are tuned in looking for the top level ones, ones that are a little bit better than average, you know, it all go for just sell quickly. It was cool. Cool time. Yeah. I remember when I bought the the single trade that he, I couldn't remember if I placed a bid. I'm looking at it now. Frank C had placed a bid. 
It was on, it was on sale for 2.5 ETH, which at the time was $485. Mm-hmm. Franksy put in a bid at 1.25. And the second he did that, I'm like, I better buy it. And so the yeah. second he put in that bid, because I'm like, well, he's going to go after it. I bought it. And then I remember, I think you and other people were like, dude, that was a great buy. Like, that one's awesome. And then even when I put it up for sale way later, uh, I actually had it. I actually listed it a few times and it never sold, luckily, for way less than I ended up selling it for. It's kind of interesting. You know, now that you mentioned it, yeah, right. You, oh, right. It was that albino hoodie. I do remember it's, yes, yes, yes. Okay. And then you switched to the 3D glasses. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I, mean, I obviously remember that punk quite well. Tap, we got to put that one on the uh, cover of this episode. It's pretty dope. And that was my that was my PFP for like I don't know for a few months at least. That's a good one. Did you did you do the Tiffany pendant or no? No, I didn't. I mean, I'm not a big jewelry guy. I like watches, but other than watches, I don't wear any jewelry, so I didn't really have a lot of interest in it. Although they are pretty cool. How about you? I mean, I got one because for me it was more like a trophy. Like you know, I got like I said to you earlier, like you know, punks are pretty life changing for me, and so it was like you know. The, my Vomises Punk is kind of my brand and it's like I don't wear jewelry either other than watches but I was like okay I, I just I have to have this yeah I kind of wish I had gotten one it's too late now right or can you still buy an unclaimed one uh no you had a within a week of the sale you had to put in the punk they've all been they've all been made. that's what I thought yeah so I don't know but they were pretty expensive right how much were they at the time like 50 grand 30 yeah 50 grand so yeah it's okay I'd rather have a watch for 50 grand to be honest but I, I can definitely understand why you got one. If I was you, I would have gotten one too, for sure. Oh, and, uh, I, I had to have it. I, was, I didn't care what it cost. I had to have it. I saw G Money, a uh, picture of G Money on Twitter yesterday, and he was yes. at his A. Yep. It was very cool. I saw that too. I, I, know, I noticed the uh, I noticed the ape also. Well, listen, man, this has been so awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining. I think. Um, yeah, no problem. It's fun to like finally talk to people in real life uh, that you've sort of known for years. So it's really yes. fun. For sure. I appreciate you asking me. It was fun to do the chat. And, um, surprised it was an hour and a half on by pretty quickly yeah flew awesome all right guys thank you for having me on thanks so much yeah bye see you later take it easy Did, was he what you expected have you listened to pods with him before um, honestly no he's he's not really out there publicly that much and uh, he was kind of exactly what i expected i guess i guess had a good sense of what he would be like and so i'd say pretty pretty similar to what i was thinking i kind of understand how he thinks about different things i think um i've talked to him about squiggles a lot because he knows so much about them. I've asked him questions about traits and this and that. And um, the economic stuff, I remember back in the day, like he would talk about that a lot when I was first starting out in Punk's Discord. So I remember him talking about that a lot. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. I think um, I learned a lot from talking to him. And I, I like, this is what I want it to be like, like have really interesting people on, talk about the kind of bigger picture rather than the trend of the week. I do like not argue, I guess arguing is, is what I would say. I like arguing with people just to kind of bring out both sides. And I think, you know, we, we didn't agree on everything, which is nice. Like we can argue a little bit about me bits. And so I think it's always good to have people come on with like different opinions than, than you have. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think this is, um, if we can get guests of the same caliber, like so far it's been two great guests. And like, if we can continue to, to meet that kind of level of guests, then I think we're onto a winner really. I'm excited about the guests we have lined up. We have a couple other ones that are going to be great. And I think uh, my goal is to have a, when I was starting out, you know, it really helped to listen to podcasts where you got a lot of perspective from people who had experience in, again, talking about the big picture as opposed to like all this drama and stuff. Yeah. It's nice to also, it's like someone with that level of conviction. If you're ever like wavering, it's always nice to chat with someone who's like just absolutely convicted about everything that is going on in the space and 
earlier on today, I met up with someone, one of my real life friends who's also into crypto and like we've been crypto friends kind of more than we've been real life friends, but he's been going through some business shit and like, I think he was a bit down anyway, um, because of that and he hasn't really had much time for crypto. And even just today, like we spent an hour walking around town chatting and he came away like so rejuvenated because he'd spoken to someone else who like really believes that this stuff's important and it's coming back. And he's like, I kind of got the same from that conversation. Like it's just reassuring to not, I don't know, reassuring is not the right word. It's, it's just, it kind of reinvigorates your own belief and conviction when you speak to someone who's clearly like that, that has that much conviction on the space. And it really does. Yeah, for sure. It, it totally does. And I think it's important. You know, our, our chat group over the years has been really good at kind of keeping people focused in both ways, right? Like when it gets too hyped, it's like, dude, you should sell that. And on on the flip side, like, don't don't sell that. It's rare that everyone in that group is in the doldrums at the same time. So it's normally like one or two of us and the other, the other right. are still on it enough to sort of talk you around and bring you back from the precipice or whatever. But I was a little disappointed that he, he didn't really encourage me to buy that squiggle, if you know. No, no, so he, I was yeah, like, he was yeah, he, he was almost like, yeah, if you've got another 20, maybe that's the 21st squiggle you buy. But Yeah, I guess I won't. I guess I won't <laughs> buy it, but we'll see. I'll keep looking. Yeah. I wanted to buy myself a nice birthday present, but oh well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'll go, <laughs> now now I'm going to swap any tether I have for USDC. Yeah, I mean tether has been you know proclaimed to be a you know a scam for five six years, and it's always held up. It's kind of funny. Like I feel like at this point, if it was really a scam, it would have come out by now. Yeah, exactly. Like since, since almost since day one, people have been fudding tether. Like, why do people use it so much more than USDC? I don't understand that. I think some like there's a there's a percentage of like of people that view usdc is like much easier for authorities to track maybe like more like the fed coin than than tether and tether's more the crypto native stable but like right like once i mean i, I obviously don't understand it to the level he did having worked in fixed income before crypto but like when you understand what is behind usdc it's really difficult to sort of fud it and like i think i even tweeted that day like there's free money on the ground and everyone is too afraid to pick it up and including, yeah. I, I didn't fucking make the most of it. I'm, I'm pleased that, or at least one of us did, because it's probably the safest place in crypto. I feel like I'm the only one on the planet who uses Gemini US dollar, because I don't, in Hawaii, you can't have a Coinbase account. And so I have Gemini. And for me, like if I actually want to get money into my bank account, I just convert whatever I need to into GUSD on Uniswap. And then I send that to Gemini okay. to cash out. If Kraken had like a cash equivalent coin, I probably would do similar, I guess. Uh, we, I don't think in the UK we could, we have the same USDC redemptions on Coinbase. Um, I've actually got a Circle account, like from from when you used to be able to just cash out through Circle. But when I log into it, I can't do anything now. Like you, I can log in, but everything's grayed out. I can't press any buttons. And when I emailed them and said, "Well, I've got this account. Can I turn it into a, a, a yeah. current?" And they were like, "No, no, you don't. That's it's only commercial now. It's a shame." Yeah. Cool. All right. I think we've got enough. All right, man. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. Bye, bye. Yeah. Later.